Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. It is a hot one in Minnesota today. I think I'm going to stay inside all day long. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Resource website, blog, and radio show. I also have launched the Shifting Your Dementia Care Culture webinar series and the newly released Dementia Chat, uh, which is a free webinar series. Here in Alzheimer's Speaks, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss and their care partners, empowering them to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as it. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, may pop in with us today. I never quite know. Rick has early onset uh, dementia and he is the founder of Memory People, which is a closed group on Facebook, a wonderful support group for those with early memory loss, their care partners, both family and professional, as well as advocates or people just interested in learning more. I would encourage you, if you haven't checked it out, just go to Facebook and in the search box, pop in Memory People and take a peek. Everyone is welcome. As you may or may not know, we're kind of a grassroots effort here at Alzheimer Speaks, and so we know that none of uh, none of the shift in care can be done alone. We really have to work together as a whole. So I ask if you enjoy the show today, please share it, tweet it, like it, email it, um, embed it into your site. Do whatever you would like with the show to help us raise voice. And if you think you have a story that needs to be heard, or a business, a service, a tool, please reach out to me because I'd love to have you on the show. If you're listening online, you can enter the conversation via our chat box. I'll be monitoring that throughout the show. So all you have to do is type in um, at the bottom and push enter, and then it'll pop into the chat box. And again, when there's a break in the conversation, I'll pull you in, or you can always call in live, and we'll be able to hear you hear your voice then. And that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. So I'd like to introduce our guest today. Tori Zellick is a young woman who transitioned into adulthood while caring and emotionally supporting her mother going through a six-and-a-half-year battle with breast cancer. At the age of 18, Tori found herself traveling a very unexpected path of caregiver, overwhelmed and unsure of what 
would come next. After her mother passed in 2009, Tori, along with her father and brother, spent time traveling throughout Southeast Asia, reflecting on all that had occurred over the past several years. Out of that reflection was born the Medical Day Planner. It's Tori's hope that the Medical Day Planner will provide organizational help and guidance to those who find themselves in similar caring situations. And Lord knows dementia is definitely one of those situations. So welcome to the show, Tori. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you for having me, Lori. Well, I'm I'm thrilled that you could be part of our show. I love, I absolutely love the Medical Day Planner. I think it is filled with lots of great, great things, and I want to go over those with our audience. But um, can you tell us a little bit more on, you know, your journey with your mother? That's always helpful, even though it wasn't dementia-related, and I, I highlighted it a little bit. Um, but if you can tell us a little, a little more about the story, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, at the age of 18, I was um, off to my first semester of college, and uh, fortunately, I live in a town in California where we actually have a CSU, a California State University, so I was going to school in town, and um, I think school starts at the end of August, and mom was diagnosed in October. And so back home I went, back to uh, my old bedroom, and I became her primary caregiver. I am fortunate. We have a very close family. My father was around as well as my brother, but as with many of these situations, someone has to go to work to pay for these medical bills, and someone needs to stay home and care. And I was able to continue my education and work mom's doctor's appointments around my schooling, And after just over a year of her diagnosis, she was given a clean bill of health. And at that time, I did what any sane 19-year-old would do. I ran as far as I could and uh, moved to Hawaii and started a life there. And sadly, almost two years to the day after I moved, uh, my father called saying that mom's breast cancer had metastasized to her spine, and she had a couple months to live. And so at that time... I put my condo up for sale, and I put my dog on a plane, and I moved back to California, which at that time my parents had turned my bedroom into an office, so I had to move into my little brother's bedroom. And you can imagine what a shot to the ego that is. (laughs) And um, she ended up living another three and a half years, and it was a much more difficult road that second time. The disease had progressed significantly. She was in a lot more pain. More pain equals more pain medications. More pain medications equal less lucidity. Um, And so she certainly couldn't drive. Certain things like doing her own laundry, lifting the laundry basket was too heavy. And there's certainly, as with any ailment, there becomes that struggle between caregiver and patient. They they don't the patient doesn't want to be a burden on their family. And my mother certainly didn't want her own daughter doing her laundry and cooking her meals and taxi driving her around. and uh, So that was a shift we had to work through, and we were able to do that. But um certainly wasn't the easiest road, as with most but, caregiving. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's a lot of commonalities in, in your story, and I think that's one of the things that, that people and society in general um, forget is the overlap between disease and illness um, is, 
is really quite common. Um, granted, everybody has um, specifics that they need to meet given their own personal diagnosis and situation, but the commonalities, uh, in my opinion, far outweigh the differences in terms of you know, how to give care and what our care culture is and what it, what it means to us, what it does to us, um, what we allow it to do to us sometimes, um, you know, is all, it's all big, important stuff that we need to take a hard, hard um, look at. So can you tell us what lessons did you learn the hard way that, that might just help the next guy um, who's walking this path? Yeah, and I always joke. I learned them all the hard way. <laughs> um, yeah, being young, I think the first uh, lesson I definitely learned the hard way was I, I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to save the day, and I thought that I could do this all on my own. And sadly, some people do need to do it on their own. However, there's tons of professionals um, you can look to for help, and all of those things I didn't do. I could have asked friends and family. I could have learned to delegate. I could have gone to passages. I could have gone to the hospital and talked to a social worker and and asked for help, and I didn't do that. And I actually found myself with true caregivers burnout, adrenal fatigue, caregivers burnout, whatever you'd like to call it. I got to the point where I was completely exhausted by 2 o'clock in the afternoon and would have done anything for a nap. In the moment Dad got off work, I would go straight to bed which isn't healthy. You you can't do that. Um, and the other lesson I think I learned the hard way was I never talked about my personal situation with a professional. I looked to my friends who were also young and in college and enjoying life and falling in love and building their careers, and you soon find out that your personal burden, people want to support you, they want to be there for you, but there comes a point where they can't help anymore and your life becomes too overwhelming for them as well. And it finally took the loss of a very close friend. Um, she was 24 when she passed away from cancer as well. And it it did me in. And I couldn't necessarily go to my other young friends for help and my dad actually suggested, why don't why don't you talk to a professional? And I just remember the stigma attached to a therapist. I don't need a therapist. And uh, once they finally got me in there and I had someone who, I had her undivided attention for an hour and she had questions that were stimulating and she allowed me to look deep inside myself and the answers I gave her didn't hurt her feelings because she was a neutral party was so helpful and and I wish that much earlier on someone had discussed that with me and tried to work past the stigma of needing professional help and needing a therapist. Uh, not that everyone does, but I certainly was grieving from the moment of diagnosis. You know, my grieving didn't begin as with most people. Didn't begin once this journey was over. Mm-hmm. The grieving begins when the journey starts and I think talking to somebody about that is so so important. Um, Definitely, and and the stigmas. <clears throat> I mean, they're just they're horrible out there. I mean, we and we have layers and layers of stigma to be able to go through, and we really need to do what is helpful. Because one of the questions I was going to ask you is, were your friends able to support you and and really understand? Because being so young, that's got to be. I mean, I mean, it's just not the normal thing on everybody's list of 
you know, what they're responsible for and what they have to do by any stretch. Absolutely. And let's be honest, college time is pretty much your selfish time in life. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> the first and last time you get to be selfish. And not that I, I mean, don't mean that in a negative connotation at all, but you're finding out who you are between the ages of 18 and 25. You know, so much changes. And most of my friends were available at some point. But you can't dump all of this on them. Nobody's prepared for that. And Mm so my advice for most people now is even if you don't feel like you need the professional support, there shouldn't be a negative association with a marriage and family therapist or a counselor of some sort. And many uh, spiritual organizations offer counseling. Take advantage of it. Go talk to somebody. I think that's good, <clears throat> very, very good advice because you need somebody who who not only um, is willing to listen but who understands and who has alternatives for you to be able to deal with the situation, and, and that's just a, a critical, critical route. Any other um, lessons that you want to share with us, with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the biggest one, I think, is stay organized. Same thing, I thought I could remember everything. I had a new, fresh brain. And caregiving doesn't need to be a lesson in memorization. Um, And ask the correct questions. When the explanation of benefits from the insurance company started coming in, it was just a big stack of paper, and I never took the time to look it over, see what it meant. And, you know, as the journey continued and I finally became overwhelmed and I started asking the correct professionals questions, I, I learned what all that fun information inside the explanation of benefits was, and I I knew how to discuss certain information with doctors and practitioners because I knew what our deductible was. I knew if it had been met or not met. Um, when it came to medical prescriptions, I was able to eventually work out a system that I only had to go to the pharmacy once or twice a month instead of every week because I knew uh, when certain medications were up and I was able to tweak those things in a certain way and just staying organized eventually will save you so much time, energy, and possibly money. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Um, how how did you come up with this book? I know you said you kind of went on this reflective journey with your family and stuff. Um, how did that how did that work? Was there a conversation with you and your dad and your brother or was it something that just came to you personally? It was. It was something that came to me personally. It was actually the day before my 25th birthday, and we were in what I consider heaven. It was an island called Kopanyang in the Gulf of Thailand, and uh, I was sitting on the beach wallowing in my own self-pity. I was probably at the lowest point I had ever been. My mom had passed away two months prior, and um, I've always been hard on myself. And I remember thinking that, you know, I had envisioned my 25th birthday being completely different. And I know it's just a number, but it was one of those things when you left high school, by 25 you were going to have a degree and you were going to possibly be married and you were going to have a career and a white picket fence and a dog in the yard and everything was going to be perfect. And I was about as far away from that as I could possibly be. And so after allowing myself maybe 12 or 18 hours of wallowing, I decided to do something about it. And um, right before we had left for Thailand, my dad had given my brother and I each a journal, and we were writing in it the entire time. And I asked myself, how could this have been different? 
And after just a few short hours, I had decided in my own mind that if someone had sat me down and said, look, here's a guide, here's something that just shows you what it is that is important to keep track of, and you can build from this or you can just use this as it is, but these are the things that are important, things like discontinued dates on medications, um, knowing how long a treatment occurred. I remember when we went from that first diagnosis and then mom was in remission and then she was re-diagnosed with metastases, we started becoming a part of trial medications at different facilities. And those physicians would ask me questions like, well, two and a half years ago, how long was she on this particular medication? And I remember And you're kind of going, well, don't you have it in your records? I mean, Thank you. That was exactly what would come to mind, and it wasn't nearly that nice, (laughs) the voice (laughs) in my head. And eventually they'll get it in their records because if they decide to keep you for the trial, then they'll call to your your local hospital and get your medications transferred, but they wanted to know then, and I didn't have that information. And eventually Mm -hmm. I had kind of come up with a system like the medical day planner, not nearly as organized as this is now. Um, But, yeah, so I outlined it, drew it up, talked to my dad and brother about it through the whole trip, and each time each one of us had a, a situation that we remembered with mom, we would document it and figure out, okay, where would this have gone in the day planner? And three and a half years later now, it's come to fruition. I uh, I laugh about it because I can't believe I convinced someone to actually publish it. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to genuinely helping people and making sure that so many people won't have to go through these un- these avoidable hurdles that I went through by, you know, learning these things the hard way. Well, you know, you have it, it tabbed out um, so nicely that it really is, you know, easy to use from just kind of the phone book area of important numbers, you know, that you need, some medications, um, a place for journals, a place for treatments. And then, you know, with all of these, you, you have a kind of a little cover sheet that says, okay, this is why this is important. Um, and And I just think it's, it's really well done, and it's in a little larger print. So, uh, you know, sometimes people have the, these things, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't print that small, or if I do, I can't read it, so it doesn't do me any good. So it's it's a very, very user-friendly um, book. And, you know, like you said, the hospitalizations, I go into the doctor now for myself, and they'll go, well, have you ever been hospitalized? And it's like, well, that's an easy one. I can remember that because it was my daughter's birthday. Have you had any procedures? Well, yeah. Well, when? Well, I, you know, I don't have a clue. You know, yeah. um, I've had a, a couple of procedures done, um, and you know, and they want to know because it's, you know, I had lumpectomies, and I'm like, I really don't know that. I don't remember those, and I should, um, but I don't. I, I've just never remembered stuff like that, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to start now. I mean, and with that attitude, for sure, I'm not going to start right. now. <laughs> but, I mean, and so I feel like an idiot every time I go to the doctor because most people would remember those things, and I I don't have a brain for that. I've, I've never remembered those types of things. But, you know, if I would have had this, it would have been, oh, I can answer that question, yes, and tell you what's been going on with my body. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and that's one thing that we've um, just now started kind of discussing as it's come to fruition is you don't necessarily need to have 
um, a lifelong ailment, illness, or disease, you can start now. You can start tracking, and and hopefully you'll never fill this book up. That's the goal. The goal is that you don't necessarily need it on a daily basis. Well, and, you know, that, I mean, I'm thinking of this book, and I know this sounds really silly, um, or most people would think it's silly, but I'm I'm one that I look at um, kind of dealing with my own life, even though from what I just said you would never think I have this philosophy, but that we should look at it as a business and we should be proactive. So we should have our health care directives and all of those types of things um, in order <clears throat> when we turn 18. And Absolutely. we don't. And And I look at this book and go, this would be a great book to give to someone who's graduating and just say, you know what, I know you don't think this stuff is important, but it will help you in the future, even just knowing when was your last physical, you know, because if you switch, you know, if you go and switch health insurance and and that will happen over time with jobs, you're going to want to know that because you're going to need to plan for your coverage and it will avoid some calls and different things or just history, you know, like like I had mentioned um, you'll know those answers to those things. So, you know, I think it's I think it's really very very well done. And now, in the very back of the book, Tori, you have um, a place for a calendar. Can you explain uh, why you put the calendar in there? Yeah, absolutely. The calendar is a 52 week day planner. It has every day broken into 15 minute increments between 8 a.m. and 5:30 p.m. And um, in my personal experience, what I had done was gone to one of the office stores and purchased a day planner that was almost laid out like this. Mm-hmm. And I would circle the times for mom's appointments, and I would also schedule in my time. It was a way to organize my life. Uh, so say mom had a doctor's appointment at 8.30, and I knew that was going to take an hour. I would block out 8.30 to 9.30 and write in her appointment. And then certain things like grocery shopping, her hair appointment, um, when I was going to do something for myself, a little time off, you had a a map of what the week was going to look like. And Mm -hmm. it also kept you from overwhelming the patient. Certain days, like, say, Thursday, I, I would know that Wednesday would be a tough day because we had two doctor's appointments and she really wanted to go grocery shopping. So I would do everything I could to keep Thursday open because I knew she was going to want to sleep all day. She may not think she would want to sleep all day, but having done this a time or two with her, and, uh, you know, you can get an idea, and it's it's an easy way to put in caregivers as well. Unfortunately, I was the only one, and that goes back to learning my lessons the hard way. If I had involved others, um, I could have used this as a schedule to say, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I will take care of her until noon, but I would like to have the afternoons off to do X, Y, and Z. Maybe my Aunt Amy can come in these days and take care of her. And then, again, you would have a map of how that week was going to lay out. Um, Make doctor's appointments accordingly. Maybe no one should take her to her cardiologist besides myself because I'm more aware of what's going on than the other caregivers. Or make it so that both caregivers can go so that the other caregiver can be brought up to speed Um, You can also use that space depending upon where you are in the stages of the ailment or disease Mm -hmm. as far as bowel movements. I know those are very important. Um, Intake, how much food they're consuming. 
Are they um, taking medications on time? Are they refusing food or medications? All things that can be documented. Um, certain side effects you may be picking up on that are happening at certain times, document them and then take this information to the doctor and open up your calendar and say, you know, for whatever reason, mom's taking her medication at 2 and by 4 o'clock she's not coherent. Do we mm-hmm. need to Do we need to change the dose of this medication? And before you know it, you're going to have, like I said, a map of, how this care treatment is going, and you can share that with other caregivers, physicians, practitioners, and come up with a better plan if it's not working. Well, that's great. And so many of those little things are so important um, to track because when you track, you can find patterns. Um, Absolutely. When we don't track them, we can't. And so it's very, um, very important for that. Now, you also have, um, which I think is really nice, you also have some other helpful hints that are listed in the back of the book to stay organized um, just for bills and receipts and insurance and and um, and things. And I just think it's, you know, it's it's nice you've gone even into, you know, more more in-depth than what you could do here, but just kind of a file system and, you know, if someone's picture-oriented, you, you've even designed it so people can see it and don't have to read it. Um, and I think that that is great. You talk about exercise and eating well, and, um, you know, you've got a place for just general notes. Um, it's, it's just very, um, very, very well done. And I think that, you know, you've got an area for the test and scan history, um, which, again, you know, like a doctor's file, everything kind of gets thrown into one big thing. You've really separated it out, so you can, you know, if you have a question um, or a need, you can really hone into a specific area and find find the answer really quickly. What kind of um, feedback have you gotten from people who are utilizing um, the medical um, day planner, Tori? I'm. Uh, it's been very positive. And I'm loving what people are saying because it's where my heart is. I really genuinely just wanted to help. And um, almost everyone who has started to use this book is already long into the process of their mm-hmm. their their care with their partners. And um, everyone has told me, man, I wish I had this when. You know, which is the goal. I, I would like it to educate medical staff, practitioners, physicians, nurses that something like this exists. So at the day of diagnosis, they recommend that you pick this book up so that you, like I said, it's a guide, you know, Mm -hmm. and it is broken into ten different tabs, and it may just be a guide for you to create your own Mm -hmm. organizational system. This may not be what you want to do, but every person understands the importance of it, and it's always been a compliment when they say, man, I wish I'd had this at diagnosis. Yeah, it would be nice um, if, you know, the hospitals or insurance companies um, or clinics would just give these away. Would provide you know? them? I know. Yep. That's my dream. <laughs> well, it would make their job easier. It would make our jobs easier. Um, you know, be an easy way to to communicate and to maybe avoid some, some health issues. You know, in the long run, I know a lot of the insurance companies are starting to do, um, like, health coaches. And, um, you know, instead of calling them a, you know, support person, they're calling them coaches because it really is a coach guiding you through kind of this maze that you've now entered. 
and this would be a really nice, nice tool, I think, for um, many people, with chron- especially with chronic illnesses. I mean, I think it's something everybody could use um, all the time. I mean, this would even be a great thing for um, as a baby gift, you know. And, I mean, it's mm-hmm. not something that anybody wants to think about. But, you know what, hey, they're going to start out with all their little shots and, and stuff, and it would be a great way just to be able to document start being organized from the get-go as Yeah, a and like you just said, it's something nobody wants to think about. Mm-hmm. However, these things are very real, and it, these conversations don't need to be morbid. That's something about our society in particular where we kind of like to brush everything under the rug and pretend like everything's going to be fine. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's one of the things that at the beginning of this book, it it's kind of a guide for those conversations that people have been avoiding as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I, we we tend to, um, we're in a great state of denial here in the U.S. on many levels. And, you know, for me, even like with the Alzheimer's Speaks radio show and all the other things that I'm doing with it, it's like the more you talk about it, the less fear there is because it's just, you understand how many people are dealing with the same thing. It really isn't all that different than a lot of other things that that others are going through. Um, But the only way that we're going to improve the situation is to talk about it. I mean, there's no way, there's not going to be a magic pill or, you know, this this button we push and boof, it's gone. It doesn't work that way, folks. So, you know, we have to have the conversation. We have to remove the fear. We have to help people get organized like you've done so nicely you know, with this medical day planner. It's it's just a a great, great thing and I, I um really applaud you, especially at such a young age, to see the importance and to bring this forth in the world. You know, a lot of people go through a lot of difficult times but they don't look at um and this is the question that I always ask myself, what's the lesson in this? Mm-hmm. You know? And and you really learned the lesson and said, okay, I can I can make this situation better and I can help others if I put a little more work, you know, and a little more time and energy into this, I can make the world a little better place by by passing on the knowledge that I have. And, you know, knowing that, um, and, and you may or may not have this belief, I do, but nothing we do is perfect. And there's always things that can be improved. Like somebody else might look at this or, you know, what you're doing, what I'm doing, and say, well, that's great, but, you know, I would really like to have this with it. And and maybe there's another version later on down the road. But in the meantime, this is a great, great book because it, it makes people even think about, okay, I have this, what else could I need? I mean, so you've raised the bar and, you know, hopefully if it, if it comes to something like that, people would give you the feedback and, and you do the next version, which is very common with books. Yeah, Again, absolutely. Because it's not, it isn't necessarily about being perfect. It's about being better um, at what we do and how we do it. And you've just done a really a great, great job. Can you tell people, you know, why it's so important to stay organized in the long haul? Can you maybe... Give us an example or two of of how that can really help someone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's one example in particular that really fueled this entire book, 
And that was when we were getting really close to the end with my mom. And we were in the hospital. And um, leading up until the couple months, she had started to lose her cognitive function. And it wasn't making sense because she had breast cancer in her spine. And I was thoroughly, thoroughly convinced that she had a brain tumor. And we couldn't find it. And because we were in a trial drug clinic at UCSF, which is about three hours away, we had doctors in our town, we had doctors in San Francisco, and we had imaging centers all over the state. And there was no there was no brain tumor. There was no reason for her behavior. And we, my mom and I had actually gotten to the point where we couldn't stand being around each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad took her on a vacation right after Christmas to one of those all-inclusive resorts in Mexico. I could go have some time with my significant other and dogs and he would take her away and we would just regroup and start the year fresh and she contracted a urinary tract infection down in Mexico (laughs) and unbeknownst to us the reason she was acting the way she had been acting was she was borderline hypercalcemia where the calcium in her bones were actually leaching into her bloodstream and slowly poisoning her Mm -hmm. and when she contracted the urinary tract infection uh, her kidneys and liver needed to pick you know, what What was the most important to filter here. And um, so the calcium continued to build up in her blood, and she became less and less responsive and started to hallucinate a little bit. And um, we needed to make that decision, you know, is this her ticket out is what we called it. Is this the, mm-hmm. the humane, easy way to let her go? And so we brought her back to the States and brought her to our doctors in our hometown, and they did a bunch of tests on her, and one of the physicians, unfortunately our oncologist, was out of town, so we were dealing with just a hospitalist, you know, someone who was not familiar with her situation, just on the first floor of the hospital. And he came to me and he said, you know, she's got liver lesions. And um, I said, well, yeah, I know, mister. (laughs) We've Mm -hmm. had liver lesions for six weeks. And um, he said, well, do you mind if I look at the past test and we'll decide whether or not these lesions are getting larger and then we can make an educated decision from there. Because mm-hmm. up until six weeks ago, we didn't have any soft tissue metastases and bone cancer is something you can live with if you can manage the pain. Mm-hmm. And because I was organized, I knew which of the facilities had done the test. I knew which physician had prescribed the scan on her liver. I was able to make the appropriate phone calls, give this hospitalist the appropriate information, and he was able to track down those tests. And together we looked at it, and we had decided, hey, you know, the lesions are getting worse, which means the cancer is metastasizing to her soft tissue. Let's have a family powwow and decide what we should do. And, And in that time, we decided to take her home and let her go gracefully into the next adventure, you know, the next mm-hmm. life. And um, had I not been organized, I think that particular situation would, being so stressful as it was, would have just probably thrown me completely over the deep end, you know. But I had my little book, and I know who to talk to. I knew who to ask. I knew what tests had occurred where, and we were able to get all of that information together. And, again, See, see the progression of the disease and make the appropriate decision that we thought was right for our family. You know, if you're not organized, great, that could be a really difficult example. situation. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example because that is such a stressful time. And then to to add in trying to be logical and backstep and remember, I mean, your brain just doesn't want to go there because it's in, it's in overload. 
Yeah, and, just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're just you're kind of bouncing off the walls. You, even if you look calm on the outside, you know, things are just short-circuiting on the inside. <laughs> That's a perfect way to, to describe it. it all. Yeah, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and, and we never know when stuff like that is going to happen. You know, never, and it, it's it's very very important um, to do. Now, do you have um, in here? You know, I've looked through the book, but um, do you have anything in here that talks about like power of attorneys and and sure um, healthcare declarations and? Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the very beginning, inside the patient information, the very first page. Um, is there for whoever is using the book, be it a caregiver or the person who's actually ill but healthy enough to care for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you can write all of your personal information um, all the way down to known allergies, dietary restrictions, and then it also says, do you have an attorney and do you have these sorts, do you have a trust, a will, a DNI, DNR, and durable power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And then um, a few pages in, it does discuss why it's important to hire an attorney. Don't use the boilerplate fill-in-the-blank forms off the Internet so that you really understand the advanced health care directives. What is a do-not-resuscitate? What is a do-not-intubate order? Um, what is a durable power of attorney and who should act as your agent? And all of that sort of information is in here, as well as what's the difference between a trust and a will, um, what happens if you don't have a will. Not that we're trying to scare you into getting one, but we're, we're scaring you into getting a trust or a will. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. then it also goes into other professionals you should have on your team, including an insurance broker, um, a CPA, and all of that sort of information. Okay, great. Because, yeah, it is important to build a team around you. I, again, it's it's a good um, business of living, you know, to to have the proper information and, and the people that know, that specialize in it, because the rules are changing constantly out there. And so, you know, advice you got three years ago isn't going to apply in today's market in, in many circumstances. So it's very important to, to understand the difference um, and to, to have the, have good information in front of you. That's for sure. Yeah, um, and it's important to you don't need to have all the answers. You mm-hmm. just need to know who to ask to find the right answers. And mm-hmm. I wish someone had told me that a long time ago. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a... A great, great statement. Can you talk about, um, you know, how the book can help in terms of having discussions about the difficult questions that any caregiver should really have with the person that they're caring for? Yeah, absolutely. And I've said it before and I'm going to say it again, too. A lot of these questions are questions that everyone should know the answer to, be healthy or ill, young or old. There are so many situations that can occur in the spur of the moment that if you haven't had these conversations with your family members, a prime example is if you get in your car today and you get in a car accident and you have a traumatic brain injury, who's going to make these decisions for you and who's going to know what you really want? So the first question is, should something happen at any time, um, who would you like to make those decisions for you? And that would be your durable power of attorney or your agent. Uh, A lot of times that would be the spouse. I think actually it automatically goes to the spouse if you're married. However, I think that contacting an attorney and actually having a true durable power of attorney drawn up is so important. Um, And then you need to know what sort of life-sustaining procedures would you like or not like. 
I know my mother did not want any pulmonary intubation or cardiac resuscitation or a feeding tube. Blood transfusions were something we needed because of what the chemotherapy did to her blood count. Um, and so we knew. We knew that, hey, you know, the blood transfusions are okay, the chemotherapies and the antibiotics are okay, but if anything is to happen, she doesn't want to be intubated or resuscitated. And she mm-hmm. certainly doesn't want to be on a feeding tube. And so that was something I knew, my brother knew, my father knew, and we had had that discussion with her physicians, and the DNI and the DNR were in her file at the hospital and at the cancer center, so that if anything occurred and we weren't there, those treating her knew what she did and didn't want. And I think, again, no matter what your health state is in, that needs to be discussed. Your loved ones need to know what you would want in that situation. Mm-hmm. And then another important one, I think, is are there any treatments based on your re- religious belief that you wouldn't want? Because each of us have our own spiritual journey, and some religions do want certain things. Others do not want certain things, um, blood transfusions, a biggie, as well as organ donation. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want your organs donated? Would you be willing to receive an organ donation and all of that sort of things? And those are, again, things that need to be discussed. Um, would you like a spiritual leader present at the hospital or at home during your time of passing? I know my mom just wanted her husband and her dog and her two kids and her sister there, and we made that possible. But as she was raised Catholic, and so there were plenty of times that the spiritual advisor for the Catholic Church would make his rounds through the hospital and come in and ask her if she would like a morning prayer. And depending upon how she was feeling, some days she would say yes. <laughs> some days she'd yep. say, what? I'm not Catholic. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so we would allow her to make those decisions. Well, and that's, and that's the, good. I'm sorry? I, that, that's good. You know, I had a, I ran into a situation like that when I was, uh, well, before I was married, um, Tom and I were engaged, and my husband um, was, was Catholic, and I just assumed that his mom was and because it was something that we hadn't discussed and here we are in the hospital and she is she's dying and Tom is sitting next to her in the bed holding her hands and she's really not talking she's almost kind of you know comatose and you know the nurse is saying you know it's just going to be a few hours blah 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 and they they pulled me out and they said you know would you like a priest and I said yes and so here's Tom sitting you know consoling his mom and just kind of consoling himself um, in deep thought, and in walks the priest to the end of the bed. And for whatever reason, Helen opened up her eyes, and she saw the priest at the end of the bed. And now this is a woman who they really thought just had a couple hours left. She's hooked up to oxygen the whole nine years. She takes her hand, makes a fist, belts my husband with all her strength, and says, you son of a bitch, I'm not ready to go yet. She gets up out of bed, grabs a hold of her oxygen and her IV, and does a little dance to the bathroom. And she lived for two more days. But she did not want the priest there. I mean, she, she and I had no idea. And And for me, that moment actually was a gift to me because I had only known Helen as, as an ill woman. Uh-huh. and. In that moment, I got to saw the spunky Helen everybody always talked about. And poor Tom, he didn't have a clue what happened. He didn't even know right. the priest entered the room. The priest, his jaw just kind of dropped, and then he left. And 
stuff, but it is important to know what people want um, because, you know, that could have gone a whole different way. And, I mean, what if she would have seen that and then just gasped, you know, in horror and had that on her face looking at right. her and that would Absolutely. Have been, I mean, that would have been devastating for all of us. And so it, it's it's important stuff, guys. We we need to talk about this, and it it shouldn't scare us. It's just part of life. You know, we come into life and we leave life, um, and and when we leave, many times we could have more control over our exit, um, and and. And, um, you know, most of us like control over our life, so why not continue it until the end by just having a, a simple conversation? Yeah, and you know, it doesn't with, need to be morbid. And that's no. what I try to explain to people. But so many of our culture fear, fear death so strongly that the conversations, they feel morbid to them. And it, it really doesn't need to be that way. And, I mean, you really need to discuss down to the final throw once it's over as well. Do you want to be buried or cremated? If mm-hmm. you're going to be cremated, do you want to stay in an urn or would you like to be scattered? What type of funeral would you like? My mom wanted a party. She wanted everyone to have a couple months to grieve, and then she preferred a party. And we threw a ribbon party. Mm-hmm. It was a blast. We had um, a slideshow. She loved Mexican food. We're from California. We hired a taco truck, had big, beautiful tents, large, beautiful flowers, all kinds of fun stuff, and we told stories and wrote down stories. And, you know, it wasn't, it didn't need to be doom and gloom. There was, don't get me wrong, tons of tears. But yeah. I look at her, what we call a celebration of life over a funeral, as a very positive moment in my life. And I will look back on that forever, knowing that we did what she wanted and we celebrated her life. Well, and it's so nice, too. I mean, if you go to um, a, a wake, for example, or a celebration, and, you know, the pictures are up there and the family's saying, you know, they picked these out. They wanted these certain pictures. I mean, that just means so much more. Or these, this was the music that they picked. I mean, that has so much more meaning to everybody in that room than, you know, well, we just, you know, this is what the funeral director suggested. Um, because it is a way for them to to say goodbye, and, and it honors them, and um, it's respectful to them and their wishes. You know, I, I personally, I want to be cremated, and my daughter, who's 24, just has a really hard time with that. And she's like, oh, I don't want to burn you. And I'm like, I, you know, and I joke with her, and I'm like, come on, honey, for once in my life, let me be small. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and I said, I, you know, I like to travel, I... I I don't like to be confined. I said so this way I can I can be all over, you know. Uh-huh. You can put me up at the lake and you can sprinkle me here. You can carry a, you know, you can have a little of me with you if that's what you want, but um, you know, it's more environmentally friendly. I mean, I, I go on with this list and she's just like, "Oh, I just I just I don't like thinking about that." I'm like, "Then don't." Think right, you don't have to wishes. think about it, but you now know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and this is this is what my spirit wants and desires, and um, you know, and, and it's okay, you know, because really, it's not so much the process; it's just she doesn't want me to go. Right. And, you know, Which is fair. and it's, and and part of you know this conversation has to be: this isn't about you; this is about right. me. 
you know, this is about the person we're caring for, and this stuff is important um, to do because, you know, I, I did like the the um, prepaid burial and stuff with both my folks. My dad had brain cancer, you know, with my mom with the Alzheimer's, and and I and I was kind of dreading it, even though I knew it was the smart thing to do and that we needed to do that, and it really wasn't difficult. I mean, the the people that you work with are so respectful and so helpful and I just thought, thank God I'm not in you know, in the middle of my grief trying to pick out a casket or trying to write an obit or trying to, you know, do all of those things. You know, you can do so much ahead of time and prepare and know that this is what they really wanted. And I was shocked several times with both my mom and dad over, you know, some of the things that they wanted. And it wasn't any big deal. It was just we had never had the conversation. And that brought me so much peace, knowing that I knew now. Um, so if I was asked, I could, um, you know, I would be making the right decision, you know, one that they that they wanted. And so as a care partner, that allows you to remove a lot of, guilt and fear later on down the road because you've you've had the conversation. And so it's it's just very important stuff. And again I I think your your book is just absolutely uh, a fantastic tool for people to to live a healthy life and to be organized and to um and when I say healthy, you know, we're talking about being ill um, but you can use this throughout your life. But it can help, I think, people be emotionally healthy when you're organized um, in these situations. Um, and it will, I think, alleviate a lot of stress. And, you know, when we're in that caregiving mode, we, we've got enough stress and enough baggage that we're hauling around with us. Um, so why not be organized, you know, um, so how do people how do people get the get the book, Tori? The book is available wherever books are sold. It's in Barnes and Nobles on the shelf under um healthcare nursing, depending upon how your store is organized. It's also available on Amazon and Barnesandnoble dot com. And if you need more information about the book, you can check out my website and blog at allthingscaregiver dot com. Or go ahead and type the t- uh, name of the book into the URL, themedicaldayplanner.com. Okay. And all the information will be there. And I'm actually happy to announce that as of today, an app, an iPhone app of this book is being submitted to Apple. So hopefully oh, in the next cool. couple of weeks, you'll be able to get this whole organizational system on your phone. Oh, would that be sweet. Wouldn't that be nice? Because then you'll never run out of space. And uh, the beautiful thing is you can track multiple um, individuals as well. It's not limited. Like this book, you should probably only put one person in it. That way Mm -hmm. the organizational system makes sense when you flip to the medication. It's all Uncle John's medication. But with the the iPhone app, it's all going to be pictures. You can hit, you know, your own face, little picture, and it will go to all of your medical information, and it will uh, back up every time you back up your phone, and hopefully... Um, we'll be able to help millions of people that way. 
Wow, very cool, very cool. Now, can you tell us what the pricing of the book is, and, and have you priced the app out yet, or? Yeah, uh, the cover price on the book is thirty four ninety five. That mm-hmm. is strictly for Barnes and Nobles. If you go to Amazon dot com, I think it's anywhere from nineteen to twenty three dollars on any given day, and uh, the app will be a dollar ninety nine. Okay. Wow. And, yeah, Very I recommend. Cool especially because of the conversation I think you need to have. Um, mm-hmm. There's still a lot more helpful information on the hardcover of the book, all mm-hmm. of the information about the DNIs, DNRs, uh, durable power of attorney, and why these sections truly are important to track. None of that information will be in the app. The app is strictly an organizational guide. Okay. Is that something that you would consider um, adding to your website? If somebody maybe became a member, maybe there's a, a code when they do the the app so that they could access that additional information on a hidden page or you know I something? would love to do that but unfortunately and fortunately um, the book is published through a publishing house and so mm-hmm. they have certain rights now and I need okay. to behave myself. However, okay. that being said, the blog has tons of information and it's broken into sections. So depending upon what it is that you're looking for, um, mm-hmm. we have sections on grief sections on tracking care, the whole caregiving process, medication information, all of that's on the blog. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that we had you on the show today. I I learned a lot. Um, The book is absolutely fabulous. You'll definitely have to let me know uh, when the app comes out and maybe send me a press release so that I can shoot that out. Absolutely, I'd appreciate it. Because it's... um, this is big stuff, people. It, it really is. It, it doesn't seem that important until it's too late, <laughs> and then you wish you had all this stuff. And uh, we're talking, uh, gals, speaking from experience here. Um, you don't know what you need until you need it. So, you know, it's time for us to start learning from others um, and being better prepared to live this this life that we're we're in here. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience, Tori? I think we covered it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, you know, the one thing that I always try to tell people when they ask me for personal advice is take care of yourself as the caregiver. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that inherently we don't do because we're giving our all to the person we're caring for. But at the end of the day, make sure to take care of yourself as well. Very, very good advice. And do you have recommendations for people on how to do that, or, or oh, you know that it's a broad spectrum? So I think again, giving some examples might not hurt our audience to hear. Yeah, no problem. First and foremost, um, eating correctly and whatever that may be for you. I know that I'm an emotional eater, and I took to the Ben and Jerry's diet. That meant walking <laughs> into Safeway and purchasing a pint of Cherry Garcia on a nightly basis, and that's not good for you. Um, and in turn, you know, if you find yourself spending lots of time in the hospitals, you don't need to eat the cafeteria food and you don't need to eat the food out of the vending machines. You are free to bring in your own meals and lunch. And I found myself cooking dinners at home for dad and brother and then packing food, making sure to make enough leftovers and putting them in my Tupperware and keeping them in my purse at all times, fruit, beef jerky, that sort of stuff, so that I didn't find myself eating out of the vending machines. Mm -hmm. And then exercise, and that doesn't need to be rigorous exercise. 
I kind of think of exercise as time off. So if that means go taking a walk in the park or taking the dog to the river, going to yoga class, whatever that is for you, exercise is good for the body and it's good for the mind. Yeah. Um, getting quality sleep, which again is easier said than done. Turning off your brain at night is nearly impossible when you're in this position. But if you can turn out all of the lights, get blinds on your window so that there's not light coming through, don't have a TV in your room, don't if you can cover even the alarm clock so that there's no mm-hmm. light and you're sleeping in a dark room and you can get good, solid sleep, that is going to forever change your ability to be a caregiver. And then, as we talked earlier, I think it's so important to talk about yourself, and if that needs to be with a professional, find the right person and get talking. Oh, good. You know, on that, on that whole sleep thing, um, one thing that I do, um, and I do it during the day sometimes too, um, but I um, kind of hone in on my breathing, and it's just kind of a meditation um, technique where I focus on my breathing. And when I breathe out, I say to myself, either out loud or in my head, I'm releasing everything that I no longer need to hold. And then on the intake, I say I'm taking in all the gifts that will make me stronger and wiser. Um, and I do that several times, and that really helps clear my mind um, because there's so much that we hold on to and we worry about, and um, I don't know. It might it might help somebody out there, but it it works for me, and so it's worth a try if you're if you're not able to sleep or or even if you are just in need of clarity. Um, usually, it's because you're just holding too many things in your your head at one time as a as a care partner, and we need to clear it out um, and just be able to to be so. Wonderful tips, Tori. It was a, a great conversation having you on the show today. So, again, I really want to thank thank you so much for your time. And I, I encourage all of our audience to check out the Medical Day Planner. It's a great guide that will help you navigate the medical maze that's before you um, in any realm. And, again, it's not just dementia-specific. It's, it's just good living. So it would also make a good gift for someone who's having a baby, someone who's graduating, um, someone who just got diagnosed. Uh, it doesn't really make any difference. It's something we all need to look at and take a little bit more seriously. So, again, I want to um, thank everybody for listening to our show today here at Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I would love to hear what your story is. So if you um, are interested in being on the show, please reach out to me. You can just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and uh, shoot me an email from there, or you can always contact me through the radio show here as well. I do interview people that actually have dementia, uh, care partners, both family and professionals, advocates that are trying to raise awareness and funds. So we're always looking for new things. Researchers, um, it's all about raising our voice, working together collaboratively to make a difference in shifting our dementia care culture. Our upcoming shows that we have on the 31st, I'm going to have uh, Kathy um, Siggins and Linda Everman on, and we're going to talk about stamping out Alzheimer's. These are two women that are on a mission to get an Alzheimer's stamp to help raise funds. And then August 1st, Bill Lightfoot is going to be with us, and he is an elder care expert. So, um, and, and his focus is really on elder abuse, and so we're going to really dive into that for the first hour. 
The second hour, I'm going to have a motion picture producer who is in the process of making a film called Faded Flowers with some big-name um, actors, and so that'll be exciting. And then on the 9th, I'll have an author on, and um, we've just got lots of great shows coming up for you. So please feel free to uh, to uh, follow us and uh, tune in if you're not able to make the shows live again you can always go to the archive. In the meantime, I just want to remind you to focus on three simple things when you're working with someone with dementia, and that is the tools of your memory chip. And those three things are to keep in mind, are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free? Thanks again for listening, and have a blessed day. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebastian, host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.